is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host Brandon, Joe, my co-host, uh, my co-host that I've always done this week, uh, Nick and Joe. Well, welcome back, gentlemen. Yeah, where's 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 the other one? Is he still? Is he on his fourth week of, of paid time off here on the podcast? I mean. Oh. Rude awakening. It's not paid. It's actually unpaid time off. He's exceeded his limit, yet I just didn't tell him. He, so. he is. We don't get paid at all, so it doesn't really matter. Take as much time as you want, Dan. You're good. Yeah, especially when you got tweeds uh, filling in. No concerns. We're, we're good. So, Joe, welcome back yet again. Yeah, glad to be back. We'll sit two in two days. So, uh, yeah, nice to see you guys as usual. Per usual. Well, hey, this is going to be the Spurs match preview. That's right. We've got the London Derby lining up for this weekend. Always hate Spurs, hate Arsenal. And JK, special shout out to your affection for Leeds. But uh, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and jump into what to expect from Spurs. They've got some injuries, some some different things they're working through, uh, especially after getting pumped by Crystal Palace 3-0. Thank you, Connor Gallagher. Uh, we'll talk about how Chelsea might line up, as always, do the lineup prediction and then score predictions. And we'll just maybe talk through what we think is going to unfold and We've got another Chelsea youth update. That's right. I talked with Phil, uh, so we covered results, uh, talked about some current players on loan, and then looked ahead at what is coming. So before we jump into it, Nick, we do have two more Apple Podcast reviews. Super appreciative of these people. Who are they? That's right. Gaza, special shout out to uh, Jesse and Abdullah for the women's coverage and in parentheses, and even Nick. So that was nice. Uh, That was really nice. (laughs) And uh, we have... From the Champions of Europe, which is a really great uh, name for a five-star review, uh, best Chelsea content on the internet, had to give this a five-star review as soon as I switched to an iPhone. How about that? <laughs> so so he's been there all along, Brandon. He's been, he's wanted to, but now he has the tools at his disposal to, to do said thing. Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, I, I, I feel like you could probably have done it on the computer, but let's not get into that. We appreciate you here. Blue All bubbles love. for the win. So uh, before we get into the uh, the details of this, let's go ahead and and give an idea of where we're at with our three word match preview uh, tweets. I'm going to kick it off with you to start, actually. Yeah, I've gone with a, a classic here, and uh, I think this is a little bit of a nod to our recent, uh, let's say, victories that we've had at Tottenham. So I've gone for three-point lane. Um, those fans who remember the 90s <laughs> and sort of the the noughties as well will know that Chelsea have had an incredible amount of success playing at Tottenham, um, so much so that it has been coined three-point lane in the past. And I have a feeling, certainly with, with the team as it is at the moment, that we should be going to this game with that sort of confidence and that kind of mentality. So three-point lane it is, and, and I think that probably tees up my prediction and, and how I see the game going forward. I mean, they need a stadium sponsor, so why why not? <laughs> uh, Nick, what about you? Burn the tree. Yeah, we've uh, heard this from you quite a bit. I'm I'm ready, baby. I'm ready to go. <laughs> this this Christmas tree formation that, that Nuno's deployed at Spurs was a bit of a surprise. We'll get into it, but... We're going to burn that thing down, so let's go. I'm right there with you. I, I put to the sword. Let us Ooh. just annihilate, destroy, put them to the middle of the table where they belong. Um, Chelsea are off to a great, great run this season, and I expect nothing more than just whooping 
on on Spurs. So uh, I guess just general general emotions, general feelings, Joe. How are you feeling heading into this match? Obviously, uh, Nick and I feel very confident that gasoline and, and weapons will be used in this match, but <laughs> maybe from a more of a, a pragmatic approach. Some might say it's an unfair advantage, but I don't really. I think it's fine. Uh, they didn't. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So tweets, general feelings heading into this one. Yeah, I think at the moment I'm not sort of, uh, well, let's say I I don't think we're kind of fully there when it comes to sort of the performance levels that we saw last season. However, the one thing that I will say about uh, any Chelsea team, particularly under Thomas Tuchel, when we go into big games, I don't really have many doubts in terms of us performing under him. So that I think there's a lot of confidence to 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 be had from from certainly seeing the you know the the second half performance against Liverpool, for example, the way that we played for the majority of the game at Arsenal. Um I, I just I feel that the team is is they're ready. I think that they're they're mentally prepared to play Tottenham. I think the 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 occasion, the the, the fact that it's a derby game, I think all the players know the the importance of the fixture as well. And I just think as well, maybe some of that form that we've seen of late where we've not necessarily been as fluid as we want to be. Um, I think that goes out of the window a tiny bit here. I think we go into this game with, with full confidence, knowing that we have the ability to, to play well and to dominate these big fixtures with, with the ball. Um, I think it will be a question of us hopefully imposing our will on Spurs and then, and then taking the three points from there. Nick, is that how you feel or do you have a different take on this one? I think generally that's how I feel. I mean, I think we're just a better team than they are and we have more talent. We have more healthy talent, certainly as we'll get into in a second. And you know, I mean, they haven't beaten us for a while now, you know, so I'm knocking on wood. I think you can all hear I'm knocking on wood as I said that. But, you know, through the results of the last handful of years, I mean, it's either been draws or wins and, and mostly wins. So, you know, even even going back to one of my favorite wins of all time, which is that that two nil win under under Frank in his first season. You know, it was it, 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 I think we're just going to keep keep that up. So Chelsea have won each of their last five away league London derbies. Uh, they've never won six in a row on the road before in the league history, but hey, this is what we do. We make history. So thank you to the Premier League.com for that little fun fact. Um, I'm confident, but at the same time, we do know that Spurs are going to elevate their game uh, being a rival match. And so if Chelsea don't come uh, with a little bit of edge, right, and a little bit of fire and fight in them, uh, Spurs are going to do that, right? Spurs are the annoying um, you know, I don't know, little kid neighbor that, that thinks they can run at the big boys, but they can't. But the problem is they will elevate their game for this one. They will play in this match better than they probably will the rest of the season. Right. And so Chelsea have to be ready to absorb that pressure, right? There's going to be tackles. There's going to be a lot of things said. And at the end of the day, Chelsea need to just make sure that we're clinical, that we don't leave it too late, like against Zenit. Uh, we take our chances early and, and kind of take away that that chance that they might get one late or get an easy you know sloppy goal or anything like that so that's how i always head in the spurs match albeit full of confidence with this group but uh nick to your point uh when you look at the spurs head-to-head over all of time um there's a nice visual representation here it is all chelsea i like spurs out of 58 matches played there's been 20 draws all right so 20 times we've shared the points 31 wins for Chelsea to seven for Tottenham. All right. And when you look at away, we've won 13 away. They've only won six at home. So you would say this is history, uh, recent history today. Like pick your poison. Spurs, unlike Arsenal, have nothing to really claim success or victory over us with. 
making history and reliving it. <laughs> see, see, that's the that's the banner we need. But yeah, I mean, look, I mean, for the majority since 1992, right when the Premier League started, we've been better than they have been. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, let's not we don't have to overcomplicate this. Like, I think there's a, a ton of ways that you can break this game down. It's not as if they're complete scrubs. I mean, I think they have a they have a decent squad. And I, you know, I think Nuno's a practical enough manager to get the best out of them, uh, unlike their firm, former manager. But I, I think this is if you just compare the squads, like, I mean, let's take a look at their squad. Uh, the, their predicted 11 is Hugo Lloris. Some cat named Emerson that wasn't ours. Uh, <laughs> Rodon, Eric Dyer, Regulon. That's a back four. Hoybier, who, who is really good. I, I I rate him in central midfield for sure. Inconsistent, uh, albeit. I think he's pretty damn good. Um, okay. and, and played well for for Denmark in the in, in the Euros. Uh, Oliver Skip and Deli Ali. I'm not afraid of that. Uh, Lucas Mora, Kane, and Bergwijn. Not, I mean, decent. Not going to set the world alight, but decent. You know, I mean, they're, they're probably a solid, you know, B squad. The, the difference, though, is that we have an A squad. Right. Bergwijn can be very effective when mm-hmm. he's allowed to run at people. Harry Kane, no one, I think, is going to argue, Joe, that on his day, even probably not on his day, he's a world-class striker. But we're not seeing the full Harry Kane. Like, I don't care what the tweet said. I don't care what the press conference said. He is not all there after they stole his move away to City. And Jack Grealish is living it up after moving <laughs> to City. He had like Harry Kane is pissed. And I don't care how much professionalism he has, he's not giving it his all. Yeah, this is uh I think this is an interesting thing, and I think it applies to to all sports as well. How often in America do you see the guy who doesn't get traded? doesn't get the move that he he particularly wants and then goes and has a, a down season in football. It, it happens an awful lot. Um, you know, Jules Kunde at the moment, I don't think is playing his best football for, for Sevilla after not getting the move to Chelsea. Kane's, you know, if you've if you've decided to to move on, you know, I don't care how how strong you are mentally, it's very difficult to to try to sort of place yourself back into that scenario where you're clearly unhappy and you clearly want to move. You've got to make the best of that situation. So I'm I'm curious to see, you know, how he plays. I mean, I've, I've not seen Tottenham live this season, but I've, I've only read that, you know, he's not necessarily been as effective as maybe he was the, in the previous seasons. But it's it's a difficult place to be. You know, you know that he wants to move. The fans know that he wants to move. His teammates know that he wants to move. He knows that he wants to move. Amazon you know, knows that he wants to move. Amazon, you know, every, everyone everyone and their nan knows that he wants to, wants to move clubs. Um and and yet he's still there. He's still the captain as well, which again for me is a very weird dynamic to see your captain. Uh, sorry, it's uh, Larissa's captain, but somebody who who plays captain a lot, you know, um, to, to be that kind of player. So yeah, very very strange situation for them. And I'm curious to see whether whether Kane is is the same uh, force that we've seen over the past couple of seasons. Hopefully, it's not because obviously that that bodes well for us. So part of the squad too, Tenganga got uh, sent off two cautions last week. Um, I actually, I, I was on my way to Iowa and, and watched just a snippet of this match. And I like caught both of his yellow cards and I was like, hmm, well, well, that was dumb. That was a nice rush of blood uh, to the head and ended up getting sent off. So he's not going to be there. But then on top of that, you've got Eric Dyer, who's injured, which is probably going to be a game time decision. Uh, 
Uh, Huming Sung is injured, which he might be back. Uh, if he's not, huge win for us. But then you still have Lo Celso, Romero, and Sanchez all isolating from their Copa, or I guess not Copa America, but South American qualifying. I will just say a little bit of empathy for Nuno in that sense. That, again, no one won, apparently, unless you kept your players from going. And even then, it wasn't a, a surefire thing that they were going to not be suspended, as we saw Tiago Silva right up until till match day. So positive for Chelsea, though, they are only playing with about a half a deck of cards compared to where they'd like to be, which is really good for us. Again, sawn out. Big win. Dan Dormer's fantasy team, huge hit. I love it. Yeah, same. Anything to take Dan down after my abysmal start to the year yeah. in fantasy will be will be required. So um, any, anyways, like I said, Spurs, they've, they've had a pretty good start to the season until they didn't, you know, uh, beating United. Um, beating City. The first, yeah. The yeah, first game sorry. Against City. Yeah. Beating City, right, uh, right off the bat. Kind of surprised everybody. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I I think if we're just being honest in totality, like if we don't win this, Joe, I think a lot of people would be upset and surprised that Spurs were able to pull this out, even though it's at their stadium. Yeah. When the fixtures came out, you know, before the sort of the injury situations and the COVID situations, I think this was part of a run of fixtures that people were putting together as a really, really hard sell, you know, the beginning part of the season, a really hard portion of the of the calendar for us. Um I think looking at certainly the the predicted eleven, the guys who are missing, you know, bar maybe wanting Harry Kane out or somebody else, you're kind of really you're doing pretty well in terms of, of particularly someone like Son if he doesn't play. I think he's a very influential player for for Spurs, particularly when he's up to speed. So I think you know really that this this does look on paper now a fixture that Chelsea should be going to to attack. We should be going there to take the three points, whereas maybe you know during the the sort of the, the 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 you know the summer this fixture was was one that I had certainly penciled in that was was going to be tricky particularly with you know the the run of games that we have um, you know over the next couple of weeks or so so you know a game that could have been difficult post Champions League you know I think we had a, a hard fixture against Zenit during the week took time to break them down um, this hopefully now is a slightly easier fixture on paper but that obviously means that the players still have to go and, and do the business on the day they can't take it for granted given that there are a number of, of players missing possibly players playing out of position etc so on paper it looks great it's just one of them that we have to turn up now and, and obviously deliver on that uh, promise that we have a, a couple of things we look at their top performers nick obviously Huming son their leading goal scorer and leading shot taker out is big for us eric dyer has the most clearances again that's good for us what I'm surprised is, is that OBA has the most passes of the team. So that's clearly someone we need to to snuff out. And I wouldn't say man mark, but really, you know, pressure him and get on him. And Palace did a good job of that last weekend. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that was a, a component of their of their win, which was a really surprising result, you know, frankly. But, you know. I mean, they, they scored three goals, so credit to them. But how about this? The leading tackler on their team is Deli Alley, and the leading aerials battle one is Lucas Moro. What? <laughs> that can't be right. The Premier League site has to be wrong. It, it shows you, you know, they started their season pretty well, right? And they, they've only, I think, conceded those three goals to Palace last week. Um, but... That defense is not built like our defense. I, I you I think you would be hard pressed to see some combination of 
you know, I think Davinson Sanchez probably makes their their first eleven when he's healthy. Maybe Lacelso does whatever, but I think I think that was a red herring. Um, you know, start to the year. I don't think if they played today that they would shut City out again. So I, I you know, I just I look at them and I I just wonder how good that backline is. Even though I will admit, Nuno is a very good coach. He's a guy that I I really uh, admire. Uh, previous to coming to Spurs, obviously. Um, but, uh, but you know, I just don't know if he can get enough out of them throughout an entire season to, to make it work. Uh, I would also say, Tweeds, that uh, Harry Kane is joint top with the most cautions. I think that just kind of shows you his frustrations that we've seen on the pitch. And again, that he's not 100% bought in. Um, but, hey, we got to go ahead and do the business regardless because if Harry Kane's going to turn up for a match, it's this, not Palace. <laughs> Yeah, and, and a performance against Chelsea, certainly from a Spurs perspective, is one that can, I suppose, really either sort of be a catalyst for him on a personal level, but also from a from a fan perspective as well. You know, it's it's tricky, and, and we know from experience seeing Eden Hazard want to leave for Real Madrid, it's tricky to to balance that with trying to to support the player and wanting them to to, to do well. Um, Hazard may be a slightly different case here, but just sort of in the same sort of ballpark, but using Chelsea as a springboard to maybe re uh kind of maybe rejuvenate his his relationship with Spurs as a club with with Spurs as a as a fan base you know that's always a possibility so as much as i think you're right his his sort of record particularly in terms of of caution suggests somebody who isn't quite there mentally or is maybe frustrated or showing a lot more outwardly his frustrations um Chelsea would be a great game for him to turn up in and, and be the Harry Kane that, that people fear. So certainly one we have to keep an eye on and I'm, I'm hoping that uh, his frustrations will carry over, you know, Rudiger winding him up, whatever it's going to be, whatever it takes to, to get him off his game. But uh, yeah, Harry Kane at, at 50% is, is still a fantastic player, but I'd rather him closer to, to the player that wants to leave a Man City than remembering that uh, this is one of Spurs' biggest games this season. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a quick break. Uh, when we get back, we're going to flip the script and go to Chelsea as we as we normally do and then get to Chelsea. So thanks to sponsors for financially supporting the show. And we'll be right back. All right. Before we get into the Chelsea side of it, uh, just a reminder on the Patreon side, we're doing the Ted Lasso pod. Uh, so if you've been enjoying that, you'd like to hear more from us, that is available on our Patreon page. And then shout outs to Michael P. and Luis A., uh, who joined us on the monthly sub train. Uh, they're in Discord and living it up. Again, if you don't have a community to watch the games with, we have an amazing community on Discord who uh, chat throughout the entire match. And I promise you, um, they are... A good group, although sometimes it gets a little emotional and wild, but it's fun because we're all passionate. So, uh, and then Nick, next up, we have a ton more podcasts coming, and I'm excited to hear that Matt Law agreed to rejoin us. <laughs> That's right. Big signing. Uh, Matt Law coming back, even after we beat his villa. Um, so, Spurs match review on Monday, Matt Law special Tuesday, Villa League Cup review on Wednesday. That's right. The League Cup is back, baby. Let's go. Uh, city preview on Friday and, uh, yeah. So two, two big weekends in a row for matches here. All right. Well, let's go ahead and turn our attentions to the mighty blues, uh, with some team news updates. It sounds like Conte might return. He's still iffy. Pulisic still out with an ankle injury. I get it. Maybe I should clarify. We're doing this before Tuchel's press conference. So we're kind, kind of ahead of the news cycle there. Uh, Chili B played his first minutes of the season on Tuesday Again, just to drive that home since the Champions League final, which is crazy. 
Um, but I blame Gareth Southgate personally. And then Chelsea have conceded one Premier League goal the entire season. So um, that's kind of where we're at. Again, I think all of us said the confidence uh, levels are quite high. And when you've got Romelu Lukaku in your squad, we've heard Nick talk. Uh, Nick T- Tuchel's talked about they got Rom not only because of what he does on the field, but his leadership, his mentality, the off the field stuff. And it sounds like Tuchel is, is starting to um, give more insight into that. Yeah, he said you don't find many strikers of that quality. And the guys who really score regularly for their teams are so, so important because the goal changes the whole momentum in the match. It gives the whole team a lot of belief to know that maybe one half chance or one chance is enough to make him score. And it's more than just the talent that he brings because he has the belief. He takes pressure off of other guys' shoulders. And he personally, uh, he has the personality to not be too impatient or to lose confidence. And, you know, look, I mean, that confidence can happen on the field, Joe. But, I mean, it really shows up in moments while you're in the locker room, right? You're just walking a little bit taller, maybe have a little bit more confidence heading into the to the toilet bowl stadium this weekend. And, uh, and yeah, maybe he's just having that effect on guys. Yeah, that uh, the mental impact, I think, is an interesting thing there. Um, I think there were times last season where, let's say, someone like Timo Werner, subconsciously Chelsea players maybe weren't making the run beyond, maybe they weren't making the run because they knew that, that maybe the loss of possession, they were going to have to sort of instantly turn around and, and make recovery sprints. Stuff like that, when it comes to knowing your teammates, when it comes to that chemistry that you build with people, that um, kind of, as you say, that sort of innate confidence that people have in Lukaku, it will make them, I think, play slightly differently, a bit more aggressive. You can see certainly the way we've played this season, a little little bit more open. Um, But that, I think that mental edge that he provides, certainly probably the attackers at the club, maybe the wing backs as well. um, It's hard to quantify at the moment, but in such a short space of time, you know, players, you know, now, I can't remember the last time we played so many passes into a centre forward. I mean, this, you know, you look at the the Arsenal game, obviously was an exception, but certainly against Zenit as well, that posting up that Lukaku does, you don't play that pass if that's Werner or you maybe don't play if it's Hazard, Havertz or Pulisic or even Mason in some cases. Um, with, with Lukaku now, players are developing that confidence and trust in him. And I think we're starting to see some of that, that return there. So I completely agree that, you know, yes, we can all look at the, the goal scoring form. We can look at his his presence. But it, I think it's that mental um, kind of clarity or mental edge that he provides to his teammates as well. Now, the confidence and trust that people have in him to retain possession, therefore making people feel that they can play that aggressive pass. They can maybe make that run that they wouldn't have made last season. So it's all kind of a very, very um, kind of intricate ecosystem of decision making. But I think certainly something that, uh, that, that Lukaku has um, almost subconsciously improved in this Chelsea team is that level of confidence in in the front line. So, Nick, I'm going to second assist you and let you assist me on this next one. That is right. Uh, Brandon's idol, Big Pete. Correct. Check. Can confirm. Yep. It has decided that in addition to his 14 other jobs, he wants to uh, do a little bit of writing. And when I say a little bit, I mean... 94 pages of thesis on Chelsea's website. So I would encourage you to go check that out on the, on the website. He has a new column and the column covers a lot of stuff. It covers his early career and and different types of preparation, but he really starts the article off Brandon in talking about um, our, our guy Mendy and the type of focus and patience you have to have when you go from facing a lot of shots and maybe not a great defense in front of you to 
very few. And it, just maybe read that and kind of take it in. For sure. Yeah. So he says on the website, quote, generally, when you play for a top club that dominates possession and dominates the game, then you don't end up with too many saves. The job is really about concentration, being focused and in the game. And that's really the what that's really the hard part. Because you might have one shot to save, but if it's a big chance, then it can make the difference between getting a point or winning or even losing. This is the hardest part for a goalkeeper in a top club. There were obviously games during this season where the team might struggle a little bit and you might end up with 10 saves, so you need to be ready for that as well. I think he's talking about the, the Villa match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the combination of being prepared for any type of game. And I think it, what helps with this is playing for the national team, end quote. Um, you, you definitely get a new style, new flavor, new variety when you're with the national team versus your club team. I mean, but that's really it. You know, we've seen Mendy have some quiet days. Liverpool was a really hard grinding experience. Villa was really hard grinding. And then, you know, even Zenit, I'd say we were probably a little sloppy defensively. Um, but I mean, Joe, the fact that we can see Mendy, you know, kind of sit on his hands all game, then pop up to the rescue. We need him (laughs) once or twice. And then also be engaged from minute one to 90. I would say those games where you're making save after save, uh, your adrenaline is just, is just through the roof and you end up just, just absolutely knackered after those games. You're just shattered with exhaustion because of all the adrenaline you use in those situations. Um, so I'm sure Mendy definitely took a couple recovery days after the Villa match. Yeah, so uh, I think that the point that you made that's interesting is that the the confidence that I have in in Mendy now, I've probably not had in that many Chelsea goalies. I'm, I may be thinking Kudacini, Czech and Courtois are sort of the three that come to mind in in my lifetime of of watching Chelsea. And it's interesting as well that Czech was the one who spotted Mendy and, and sort of did the you know, the kind of the, the sort of due diligence on him because they both have the, the incredible traits, as you say. I think your point about being switched on, having a lot of saves to make as a, as a goalkeeper or an ex-goalkeeper, I should say that Brandon is, would know that better than most, that that is something, a kind of rhythm that you get into. But it's the games where he maybe has to make one save. Those are the games that I, you know, I think to, to Kepa, rightly or wrongly, is, is those are the, you know, moments that I'm not necessarily super confident in. But with Mendy, um, even before the game against Zenit, when he was getting his award, you know, he he literally didn't even appear to be that happy about receiving it. He was he seemed so focused. Terrible on the game. Ter- yeah, that's bullshit. There, by the way, yeah. <laughs> but there was a photo of him, and like you could see his face. He was almost like you know what is going on here. So the fact that he's so switched on, even when you know getting a moment that, that was mo- meant to be quite celebratory for the club, um, that gives me a lot of confidence because there are games where we need him to make those one or two big saves. And he comes up big in those moments. And yeah, I mean, you know, goalkeepers will get into rhythm when they're making lots of saves. You still have to be good to make them, of course. But it's that the difference I get from him is in those tight games where the team maybe gets that one chance at the death. And, you know, um, I have confidence in many to make the difference in those moments. And I've not felt like that really since since we had a Courtois ring off. Yeah. All right. He's very he's very good. And I think the, the <laughs> other thing that I would I would put forward is that he's experienced failure before. So like he's extra driven to maintain the elite level that he currently has. And, you know, I think if you've experienced any sort of failure in your own life, you'll know that that's not a place that you want to live. So, you know, I think it's one of those deals that I I always kind of look for. Has, Has this player faced adversity before and have they overcome it? He definitely has. All right. Let's go ahead and move into our lineup predictions so we can get to the score predictions because we still got Phil 
on the other side <laughs> with me, a little bit of a podcast inception, actually. Um, but lineup predictions. So, Nick, how are you feeling about this? I know it's we're, we've talked about settling in, but, you know, Tuchel played some guys midweek, probably going to need to look at doing a little bit of rotation, I think. But based on his lineup midweek, I, I would expect it to be a very strong lineup against Spurs to keep that momentum rolling. For sure. I mean, Tuchel knows this this early stretch of the season. Chelsea can come out of this with you know as, as many points as possible. That sets them up for a far more comfortable October, November uh, time frame. So uh, I expect a huge, you know, uh, strong lineup for this match. Plus, it's Spurs. You just want to beat them anyway. Um, reminder that this game is on Sunday, not Saturday, because Tottenham play in the Europa League. Um, uh, if you <laughs> if you haven't heard of the Europa League, it's a it's a little cup. Um, we've won but, it. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, when we're we in it, it we win it. Yeah, yeah, we win it by accident. Yeah, and sometimes you beat another North London rival in the process. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about that. But they play on Thursdays, whereas we played on Tuesday, so we'll have a couple extra days of rest. I'm going with Mendy between the sticks per usual. Uh, Aspi, Christensen, Rudiger back three. Uh, Reese James returns to the Premier League lineup. Kovacic, Jorginho in the midfield. Uh, he hates Tottenham. Marcus Alonso on the left wing, of course. And then I'm going with a bit of a changeup. I'm going with Havertz playing a little bit in a deeper kind of number 10 role. And then I'm going Werner and Lukaku up top. So uh, as we talked about, Joe, the last time, I think that the connector piece could be helpful if we're going to dominate possession. I think Havertz might be that. So, Joe, uh, run us through your lineup. Do you agree with Nick? Do you think maybe Werner will start, will not start? I mean... Yeah, I mean, I've got the I've got the same goalie, same back three. Um, I might be tempted to play Chalibur in this game just because I think Spurs have got some, some great athletes. And I think that... Uh, Chalibur's height and I think maybe he, he sort of maybe earned a, a start there and rotate him but I, I certainly think that Azpilicueta will start um James Cover called Jorginho I've gone if Kante's fit I'd start him um again I think Tottenham have got some some decent athletes in, mid, in midfield and if they play three central players against Cover and Jorginho it's not necessarily something that's worked out well for us in the past so Kante starts if he's fit um, I'm putting Chilwell back into the into the team here, although I kind of go against my own rules of Chelsea here by not playing Marcus Alonso against Chelsea. I just think Alonso was quite bad against Zenit. You know, their their one big chance came from him getting completely and utterly rinsed on the left hand side, and I just don't think he maintained the width for the pitch well enough, and it just seemed to be a bit of a weird left wing back who's playing centre forward position. So, Chilwell starts for me. Um, I'm bringing Werner back into the fray here. Um, Really, I think just from what we've been talking about, mate, over the past sort of week or so, we don't necessarily seem to have the greatest amount of um, players who are willing to run in behind and everyone wants the ball to feet. And it's very samey in terms of, of how we're building up plays. So Werner, maybe just for his his agility and his ability to get in behind, particularly if Spurs are playing uh, Eric Dyer at the back. Um, you know, he's got the turning circle of a ferry. So I'm quite hopeful that <laughs> someone like Werner could could sort of take advantage of that. I put Mason here because I don't necessarily think that he's having the best starts of the season in these number 10 roles, but I think that's a fairly common theme at the moment with the adjustments to Lukaku that we've we've spoken about. But I just think in terms of someone sitting on Hoiberg and, and pressurizing a player who, who a lot of play goes for at Tottenham moment, Mount is probably better at that than anyone else. 
So I think even if maybe he's, he's a little bit tired and, and the offensive output and the link that we've seen from last season isn't quite there, I'll take his harrying and his harassing of a, of a holding player. And then, the, you know, obviously, Romelu Lukaku. Uh, yeah, Lukaku starts the front for me as well. Well, I, I'm similar. It's funny. I went back on that Alonzo Chilwell thing, too. I'm like, well, Alonzo needs a break. He's played two in a row. Probably not going to play him a third. But then to Nick's point, you've got, he's, got the, he's got the Spurs cheat code. So I just went back and was like, he's got to play. Uh, by the way, I love the expression absolutely rinsed as far as uh, <laughs> describing. <laughs> it's it's something one. that, yeah, that's very British, but like I just, I really enjoy it. So Mendy, Rudiger, Christian Aspie, the back three. Uh, I understand where you're coming from with Shalaba. I just, I just, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, so I put Alonso, Jorginho, Conte. I'm assuming he's fit enough to play. If he's fit, you play him. A little hard done by Kovacic because he's had two good matches, but at the same time, I think we are resting Jorginho as much as we could for this match. Uh, then I've got Reese James uh, as, the, as the right back. You put him right back in. And then I've got Havertz, Lukaku, Mount up top. Just kind of the the the, the true and proven group. Uh, I do like the idea, like we talked about, being almost like a two up front with with Timo Werner stretching in there with Lukaku, Nick. I totally see that. I I just, I, you know, the fact you both had Werner in there makes me think, but it's like not playing Kai is is hard for me, which is kind of interesting because two of us have him, but then you two have hot, uh, have Werner. So a, a lot of things for Tuchel to play around with. I would point out, though, I'm a little worried about the changes and how much rotation is happening. Now, to be fair, he came in in January last year and essentially ran that 11 right to the ground uh, in Porto and didn't really rotate at all. So I wonder if he's not completely settled where he wants to be right now, which is an interesting place to be. I mean, yeah, these these are phases, though. I mean, the, they're, we're still getting players back from international breaks and a, and a huge summer of soccer. So, you know, I think I think once this first stretch of matches is over, you know, you'll probably see some more rotation. When we play the Watfords of the world, you can afford to switch it up a little bit more. But I think for these big matches against Spurs, against City, you play your strongest 11 no matter what. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into our score predictions. Uh, see how see how this one fares for everybody. I'm going to go one for Spurs, three for Chelsea since we are on the road. Um, Tweeds, what about you? Uh, I've gone 2-0. Um, I just, just don't see us conceding at the moment. Big, big words before the game. But... Uh, yeah, 2-0 and uh, Lukaku and uh, Werner to, to score. Yeah, you guys have doubled down and predicted scores. Are you guys in the Chelsea play predictor app or something? you trying to win prizes? Mm. No, my, my predictions come for free for the joy of the people. <laughs> so, <laughs> And it is? And Yeah, I think it's going to be a 4-1 win for Chelsea. Uh, going big on the goals. Uh, big Rom, obviously, on the score sheet. A Jorginho penalty. We're going to see it. Uh, Timo getting on the score sheet. And then you got to put Marcus Alonso yeah. on there. Right? Come on. Come on. That's, like, that's not even a bold prediction. That's just like a standard operating procedure thing. Free kick, run a play. I mean, he does it all. It's fantastic. Um, one inconceivable prediction. I put red card for Spurs. I don't know. I could just see them Ooh. being a little bit wily. Again, they're going to get overhyped for this and Chelsea aren't going to be as much. I, I'm, I'm down with that, uh, which is funny because of what Tweeds just wrote. <laughs> oh, no. Stop it, Joe. Joe, you, Joe, Joe use you, your you words. Come on, Joe. <laughs> so uh, we were talking a bit before the pod started about one of my irrational 
dislikes about Spurs and it's got to do with Eric Dyer <laughs> and his peculiar shaped head. So I've gone with Eric Dyer gets his head caught in the net. <laughs> there is a longer version which involves them having to call the fire brigade and get like power cutters <laughs> to get his head out. But I think I'll, I'll leave that one for, for maybe the, the post pod if, if we win. Uh, when Joe, when speaking to prediction. Uh, All right, Nick, go ahead and uh, follow that one up. <laughs> I can't follow that. I mean, that was too good. I, I went for three assists in three straight matches for uh, for Cesar assist Piloqueta. Um I also think Reese is going to get a couple. Probably have a lot of space over there. So, uh, but but my boy assist Piloqueta back in the mixer. All right, we're going to go ahead and pitch it over to Phil and myself, which is a little bit weird saying that. Uh, but we're going to get the academy update and we're and then we'll come back to us to to wrap. So here we go. Awesome. Well, thank you for passing the baton over to us, uh, Brandon and Phil at Chelsea Youth here, talking about another update. Uh, Phil, we had all three teams play, which isn't usual because, again, the, the U19 team kind of comes and goes. Is it, or are they only for the UEFA Youth League? Yeah, they are only for the UEFA Youth League, which, of course, didn't run last season because of the pandemic. It's back this season. It's uh, usually a hybrid of the under-18s and the development squad because UEFA have different age criteria and um, eligibility for this competition is for players born 2003 and later with some 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 allowances for 2002 borns, but we'll get into that in a bit. Um, because players from both the 18s and development squad who kicked off the weekend after the international break played in that the 18s got us underway with uh, another win four from four now they beat Birmingham City 3-0 at Cobham uh, two more goals from Malik Mothersill who's now got four for the season one behind Ronnie Stutter Louis Flower got his first and it was it was an impressive win against a team that has come up to category one football and um, acquitted themselves quite well they still have a, a, a learning curve but they made life hard for Chelsea and it was a young Chelsea team there were several uh, under 16 debutants involved Right, so two things. One, I can I can imagine Mother Sill and Stutter in the in the locker room, uh, marking their tallies as the Absolutely. season goes. Um, but then also a shutout, which I kind of laughed about on our last one. That you know it was like they were scoring bucket loads, but also conceding. So I'm sure the team and the staff will be happy to uh, you know put up a clean sheet. Absolutely, they'll be very pleased with that. Not least because they had three under sixteens in the defense. Ted Curding goal. Uh, it's still an under-16 despite being the uh, essential first choice for much of 2021. He's still only 15 years old. Um, he had Caden Wilson and Somta Boniface uh, as part of the defence ahead of him. Both of those are still under-16s. Caden was making his debut. And he had Billy G in defence as well. Now, Billy's been playing in midfield, but because of a few injuries, um, he's played in uh, central defence for Chelsea in this match. He played there a little bit for England at youth level. It's not his best position, but it's another string to his bow and uh, academy players are increasingly versatile these days. So it was it was really nice to see that. They brought on a couple of others on the bench. They brought Reese Russell Denny on for 15 minutes. Tyreek George came on at the end of that game. That was uh, each of their competitive debuts are under 18 level. And Tyreek almost scored. He hit the post really late on as well. It's uh, another promising group that's coming up for a year's time. These guys are getting opportunities to to come up and play under 18 football early because it's challenging them. Michael Golding was another one. He played an hour. Um, and it's a deep group. It was done in part to protect some guys for the midweek European games, but also because it is, is a chance for you to play uh, and to keep coming through like the previous generations have done. Yeah, again, like, <laughs> is it, you talk about injuries and stuff. I'm, you know, we, we were talking about on the men's team, 
you know, coming off an international break can be tough. I know, and obviously they did it for Villa. Is it the same thing with these guys? Because I know there's obviously England youth national team setups as well. Obviously not everyone is from England, right? We have some people from uh, other countries, albeit less often than the men's team. Is it kind of one of those things where it's like, the coaching staff has to regroup the guys, kind of get them refocused. You know, maybe some people are a bit tired. I mean, we talked about Mason Mount continuing to play every single game he's eligible for. Um, is that like a, a, a part of it for for these groups as well? Yeah, definitely. So England um, were in Poland for a tournament over the international break at under 17 level and Chelsea had four or five boys in that squad. Um, Stutter and Castledine started this match at the weekend and they were involved in that competition so it, it's it's on an individual level Edwin Anderson was away with Sweden he didn't play in this match so there, there may be a little bit of managing him there Jimmy Torriano is injured at the minute that's why he wasn't involved but an academy of Chelsea's stature and calibre has got internationals from several age groups across multiple different countries so there's definitely a load management not just coming back from internationals where obviously you'll have uh, a series of matches within a short time span but also then looking forward to projecting your schedule. So Basha Humphreys would have been away with England uh, under-19s, comes back, plays the development squad on Saturday, plays against Zenit on Tuesday, and he did go off injured against Zenit in the UEFA Youth League. Hopefully it's not too serious, but that's what can happen when you're playing four or five matches in a fortnight. Right. And heaven forbid I ask about the Red Countries list. We didn't have any that Thiago Silva nonsense. Honestly, I don't know how it's worked for the academy level. I don't think anyone's been unduly affected by it, but equally, it wouldn't surprise me if there have been absent absences because players have been required to to quarantine or upon return from international duty. It's just just wild, especially with the younger athletes. Like, it, it, you know, I get the full grown professionals, like World Cup qualifying, like these athletes are developing like we are in a different <laughs> path a uh, different stage of their career so hopefully we can yeah. try to keep it in perspective but usually governing bodies don't obviously absolutely um all right well the next up you have the dev squad so lost 4-1 at man city uh, but you write here that it was a score line that was far harsher or more harsh than what was actually deserved uh why was that it's one of those things man city are obviously uh, an incredible um, under 23 team defending champions runaway champions from last year in record-breaking fashion the match was one apiece until uh, about 10 minutes from time uh, City got a penalty which uh, you can see why it was given it was a soft one it was a lazy tackle from Mbuyamba and and so that changes the game late on Chelsea though then tried to chase the game in the late stages and concede two goals deep into stoppage time as a City counter-attack they conceded 95th minute 97th minute so a 2-1 defeat probably would have been an accurate reflection of the match. Chelsea started it really well. Harvey Vale scored yet again. Uh, a really nice goal coming in from the right wing, lashing a, a left foot shot into the bottom corner. There were chances for both teams. Teddy Sharman Lowe had a really impressive game in goal. City did have a bunch of chances. He, he denied them for as long as he could. Then penalty comes along 10 minutes from time. The matches between those two teams were always really well contested. They've been uh, hard to separate on and off the field international level wherever you like for academies for for a while now Chelsea won three youth cups against them City won last year's youth cup uh, it, it's I don't think 4-1 was a, a proper reflection of the the talent between the two teams and Chelsea had two first year scholars involved Brody Hughes started at right centre half Lewis Hall started in midfield um, Brody's still only 16 Lewis had just turned 17 so City have young players themselves but they didn't have two first year scholars involved it was an opportunity for Andy Myers to get those two involved because they were going to be involved in the UEFA Youth League match three days later. 
So you get them in with the group, get them acclimatized. Don't throw them in at the deep end in that one. You throw them into an even deeper end. Um, and they, they acquitted themselves well enough. Yeah, so how much, I guess, juggling did the two the two teams and managers have to do as they like prepare for this youth league? Were they available for these fixtures or did they have to like almost like create a new little mixture of a player pool and set them aside for that upcoming fixture in the UEFA Youth League? They would have gone into this triple header of matches Saturday and Tuesday for the three teams and working out who they wanted to be available for each of them. So they would have known that Brody was going to be playing for the 23s and then for the under-19s, which is why he didn't play for the 18s. And therefore you give someone like Caden Wilson an opportunity to step up from the 16s and debut. There's been some injuries. Alfie Gilchrist is currently unavailable as well. Otherwise, he would have been involved in at least one of the age groups. Um, they'll, they'll have plotted out what they wanted the UEFA Youth League team to look like and then how to manage those minutes over the weekend in the games before. Ideally, like like I say, bringing in Hughes and Hall to play with the development squad. But you don't do that in, in every case. Ronnie started played with the 18s and he started for the under-19s as well. He played with um, Harvey Bell and Jutsu and Sutt Bell in the attack in that match um, and hadn't played with them at all this season. So uh, there's a balancing act depending on what positionality and what availability you have across each position for the two teams and the respective strength of the competition with no disrespect to Birmingham they are not of the same caliber as Manchester City so you want to make sure you put competitive teams out while also giving your players the right opportunities uh, to challenge themselves so I guess before getting into the UEFA Youth League I guess maybe you can help us understand how the club prioritize um teams and minutes is dev squad number one priority then youth league then u18s or does it kind of fluctuate depending on who each team is playing (laughs) it fluctuates depending on the fixture list with a caveat that it's an academy that places a high premium on winning silverware so when it comes to the fa youth cup depending on the, the strength of the opponent that's the best on best competition the uefa youth league best on best competition Similar to how the first team would treat the Champions League. So you come to a group stage fixture, depends on where you are in the group, uh, whether you're facing a a pot four seed, whether you're facing another high caliber team, you might rotate the team around and give some opportunities to others to play. To to, to start the UEFA Youth League, you want to get off to a winning start. You've got a home fixture, you're going to Juventus next. So you, you want to make sure that you're you're topping the group because they've gone, um, they've gone to Marmo. In fact, that was a draw. So Chelsea have now got an early advantage in that group. Um, You'll see match day four, five, and six of this competition, depending on whether Chelsea have qualified or not. They'll rotate a little bit. And then as you get into the knockouts, as you get into the Youth Cup, which comes in from December onwards, that'll be the best on best. And then you look at the development squad schedule, you look at the under-18 league schedule, and you might pick and choose who gets to play here, who gets to play for that one. Players from the 18s ready to move up into the 23s to get some more minutes there. January brings around loan possibilities. So it's it's a very fluid situation and, and a lot of the groups will train together at times so that there's a familiarity between them and a, a very fluid progression between the age groups rather than, right, you're strictly under 18s until this point and then you get promoted to 23s, which is something that some clubs do. Super interesting, yeah. Um, you know, just how they have to juggle all those those different things, you know, and, and at the end of the day, they're trying to you know, win silverware, you know, like to win a league title, cup, you know, what it is, but at the same time developing these players based on the needs of the the different teams. That's interesting. Yeah, for sure. And then obviously we've got the U19s in that infamous UEFA Youth League. Uh, And again, if people aren't familiar, it mirrors the first team, right? So essentially Zenit at home, Zenit brought their U19s. 
when we go to Turin to play Juventus, we'll take our U19s with, correct? Correct. Um, there is, the competition started out that way as a complete mirror of the Champions League. Then quite rightly, there was a, there were protestations from high-quality academies that don't have a first team of the same equivalent and saying, well, we want to play in this competition. So now they have a mirrored path on the other side for domestic champions, um, the domestic champions from each country where their first team hasn't qualified. They play a home-and-away series until there's eight qualifiers from that. They play off against the eight runners-up in the... Champions League path, you end up with eight group winners, eight playoff winners, and then round of 16 straight through to the finals. So Chelsea have been in that alternative path once when they were under 18 champions of England and the first team had not qualified for the Champions League. Uh, but most often they're in the bit that mirrors the the first team. So they played Zenit a few hours before the first team did. Uh, and they came away with a 3-1 win. It was a hard-fought one. They were 1-0 down at half time, largely against the run of play. Uh, and then capitalised during the second half, uh, about 10-15 minute spell where Charlie Webster equalised, then Jude Sunsat Bell won a penalty, which was followed by a red card. Harvey Vale scored that penalty. Sunsat Bell scored again. Vale missed a late penalty, but I think they were good value for the 3-1 win. They worked hard. They they created by far the the more chances. They weren't at their best, but they were good enough. All right. Yeah, I mean... If you look at the scoreline, you're just sitting there going, okay, great, yep, did the business, you know, moved on and see how it goes. Um, you know, I just did, I'm going to embarrass myself here. We haven't won it, right? But we got really, really close like four years ago. We've won it twice and we've been runners-up twice. We won it first uh, under 85 Ash, both of them, beat Shakhtar Donetsk 2-0, uh, sorry, 3-2. Uh, I don't know why I said 2 3-2 way back in 2014-15 uh, uh, and then won it again against Paris Saint-Germain the following year where Fikayo Tomori and Casey Palmer scored in the final uh, and have subsequently lost a couple of finals since then. But it's time to get back. The last time they were in it in 1920, they were knocked out in the group stage, um, a group stage that had Ajax, Valencia and Lille in, which was a real disappointment. And they've been uh, licking their wounds as an academy since because they didn't get to make up for it last time around. Mm-hmm. And... It's it's a it's a very new generation to it. Only Sam McClellan and Dion Rankin of those who started the Zenit game have previously started a match in the competition at all. That one year of absence meant that certain players aged out of it. And so there there were there as many first year scholars as anything else involved. And it was it was useful to get some of those younger guys right into the competition straight away so that when they when it comes to using them later on, it's not a first taste of it. Yeah. Well, Again, told you I'd embarrass myself, but I, oh, yeah, I mean, that was a bit early in my youth academy days, 14, 15. Right. Oh, man, you were probably in prime time back then, Phil. Um, but that's good. And so, okay, results covered, right? Uh, you know, all in all, it sounds like, you know, U18's absolutely on fire. Good start to the U19, UEFA League. Uh, dev squad, still balancing parties, kind of sorting some things out. Um, but then we also... Uh, wanted to to look ahead right so the u18s are going to be playing blackburn in the league cup right that's correct the league cup is for the 28 category one academy teams uh, it runs as a group stage of three fixtures either home or away against the other teams uh, the primary objective of the competition is to allow for intra-regional competitions so chelsea will only play in the southern league during the uh, regular league campaign um, they don't get to play teams in the northern section like Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United. Um, so this competition will have two northern and two southern teams in the same group. 
Chelsea are playing Blackburn this weekend. Blackburn are the only other unbeaten under t- under 18 team in the country. They are top of the North League. Chelsea are top of the South League. They've both scored 16 goals so far, I think, off my head. Uh, it's going to be a really good game. Uh, Blackburn are... And they're always a hard match, but this particular start to the season has been very impressive on their part. So they're doing well. That's on some Saturday morning. Uh, the following lunchtime, Sunday, Chelsea host Arsenal in the PL2 at Stamford Bridge. Uh, that promises to be another good one. Arsenal have been in uh, decent form. They beat Manchester United last weekend. They are uh, following Balogun, scored twice. Eddie and Ketia was playing up front. They've had a few sort of first-team fringe players involved. Chelsea might do here and there. Lewis Baker is still around and needing minutes uh, and wasn't one of those who managed to get into the matchday squad in the Champions League like Malang Saar and Ross Barkley and Loftus-Cheek did. So we'll see if any of those get minutes in the dev squad. But a game at Stamford Bridge is always... Uh, a nice moment for these boys. They had one there against Manchester United a month ago. Uh, Sunday will be a pretty good game. Oh yeah, a- absolutely. Um, so plenty of matches, you know, coming up obviously. And, and again, letting those, those boys play at Stanford bridge. I mean, they, I think we kind of forget it's a big time thing. Obviously it's Arsenal, um, you know, but they get to be in the locker room. They get to, you know, kind of like live a day in the life of what it could be. Um, the last thing I want to talk about about the academy players is a little bit is we saw Lucas Bergstrom on the Champions League roster. Um, does that mean he's ahead of Sharman Lowe, even though Sharman Lowe is having all these great performances, <laughs> you know, for the academy teams? Or do you think that they will be pretty interchangeable throughout the season? In terms of playing for the development squad, they'll be interchangeable. Sharman Lowe isn't on the B list for the Champions League because he's not been at the club for two years. You're only eligible to be on the B list if you've been there for two years. He hasn't. He would therefore need to be registered on the the A list and that spot went to other players. Uh, So, um, yeah, it's a similar situation with Mboyamba. He's not been here for two years either. So he'd need to take one of the A list slots. He won't be homegrown either. He's not nation trained where Sharman Lowe would be. But it's it's somewhat irrelevant. Neither of them would have been Fair. involved in playing this season. It's nice for Bergstrom to be in a matchday squad and to be in and around that sort of environment. It's a very good experience for a young player to undertake. But, but Teddy's playing really well for the development squad. So he's getting a lot of football that he didn't get last year through injury. It's important that he's getting these games thick and fast early on. Yeah, and you, you reminded me about Mboyamba. Kind of a... A, a rocky start, little up and down. Obviously, someone. Who yeah, really... he's not had the 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 best start. He's had some issues one, uh, defending one v one against smaller and quicker players. He's made made a couple of mistakes, and and, and it happens. And it happens, especially when you've been out of football for so long, like he has, missing the best part of a year. Uh, through injuries not just one injury either it was an in- a long-term injury followed by a setback that kept him out longer than he wanted to and it's a headspace that you have to, any any anyone who, who suffers with that sort of thing finds it hard let alone a teenager moving to a new country for football and he's got the caliber and the the pedigree uh, to to shine eventually and we know that he's they've got such a prototypical physique for a modern day center half and so many positives it's just about refining and practice and and cutting these mistakes out and he's not the only academy player who makes mistakes unfortunately when you're a defender the mistakes end up costing you a little bit more um that's not to say he's been a complete uh train wreck not hardly he's played quite well at times there have been moments that have exposed him and just like every other academy player it's a journey refine your game improve cut the mistakes out and then really show what you're made of Right. And the only reason I kind of want to point that out, because that, that that's where I was at, right, is I think I just wanted to remind everyone, because I know even Yannick talked about how Mbuyambo was training with the first team, you know, during the international break. 
and I'm not saying he's overhyping it, but I think there are some people on social media that tend to want to push players with potential faster than they're developing. And we have to be careful of that. Um, always have to be careful. It's, right. it's, it's fine to be excited, but there's always a perspective to be had. And it's understandable to a degree for people to be excited about a new signing from Barcelona who is the heir to Virgil van Dijk or whatever you want to do. He's a tall Dutch defender. You can be excited about that. But I, I said this at the time that he signed. If you were excited about him, why are you not equally or as more excited about Levi Colwell, who by every measure of comparison is a better defender at this point in time? I'm not talking about their long-term ceilings. At the t- I'm talking at that point, Levi is a, a, an outstanding teenage defender. We've seen what he's done at Huddersfield this season in the men's game with the advantage of not having had a long-term injury that Mbuyamba's had, not had to transfer. He's on this very, very clear upward trajectory right now, and he's doing well. Mbuyamba can get there eventually, and that's that's the, the beauty of academy football, and everyone's journey is different. Everyone's got their own story to tell, and just because one player is killing it as an 18-year-old in men's football doesn't mean everyone has to. It's important. We, we can talk about Mbuyamba struggling, but we, 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 we need to retain the perspective that he will get there in the end. Absolutely. Again, no no shade at Yan. I love him. I, and it's it's good that a lot of these young players are getting attention. You know, Naz writing the article about Levi Colwell. You know, obviously, Mbuyamba is a, is a prospect and things like that. And, you know, again, I just think that sometimes we've looked at young players and said, oh, you have potential. Ha, huh, be great now. And that's, you know, we need to exactly. be patient it's, with them. As, as we speak, I've got the, the Dortmund Champions League game on in the background. You've got Jude Bellingham doing remarkable things for player of his age. And what that can lead to in this this era of social media and this want everything now society is you want every player of Bellingham's age to be able to do what Bellingham's doing. The reason he's special is because that is not usual. You don't find players like him every day. And so not every 16-year-old will play 35, 40 games in the championship. Not every 17-year-old will be star- starring for Dortmund in the Champions League. It doesn't work like that. Everyone's journey is different. And celebrate celebrate the, the prodigies, but understand that you'll have uh, a Trevor Chalobah make his debut at 22 for Chelsea and fit the bill. Yeah. It, you know, Tiggs and all these other YouTube editors are just so good at, at, at highlighting players' positives. It's easy yeah. to get it wrapped up. But anyways, talking about a player on the development path, path and crushing it, uh, Connor Gallagher. Obviously, it's easy to talk about when you score a couple goals. Um, but right now, he seems to be settled really well at Crystal Palace, which I was concerned about, Phil. I'm not going to lie. Um, with Patrick Vieira going there, you know, we've seen... Patrick over here at, in, in MLS, and you know he's kind of had to bounce around a little bit. My preseason prediction, I was like, I don't think Palace are going to do well because when they had De Boer, it didn't work out well. And Vieira said they want to play in possession and, and be attacking. I think Vieira's tweaked already, you know. Um, but this last performance for Conor obviously stand out, caught the eye of a lot of people. I think that that just you know generally pay attention to the Premier League. Yeah, I don't think you were alone in having concerns about him going into Palace. It was a very uncertain situation in the summer. A new manager, a big turnover of players. 
and you didn't know what you were going to get. The what what people wanted to see was a clear progression from Connor's loan at West Brom, where he was in a a very defensive team playing a low block and doing a lot of off the ball running. You wanted to see what he could do in possession. You wanted to see how he could affect the game going forward because we've seen before in the academy and then the loans at Charlton and Swansea that if you give him the license to uh, be an attacking eight or a ten, you get him in and around the opposition penalty area, he can be productive. And that's what Palace have managed to to get out of him really early on. Yeah, you go back to the first game of the season against Brentford. Um, sorry, his debut because he couldn't play against Chelsea on the opening day. Um, Thomas Frank was talking after the match and said that clearly Gallagher was the player who was most dangerous to them. He was getting into the the spaces in and around the area, so they had to tweak something at half time to to make sure that he wasn't doing that. That's 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 not something you do for every player. And then he went on and scored twice against West Ham and now he's been influential against Tottenham. He's the driving energy force from midfield that Palace need in that transition game. They've got players who are really suited to playing on the break. They've got Zaha, they've got Michael Olise, they've got Edson Odward now. They're, they they want to play with that in attacking intensity in transition and Connor can do that all day long. You have to be productive with it. And so you've seen the composure and quality he's had in the final third already. He's got goals, he's got assists, and he's uh, he's he's already one of their most indispensable players. And that's only a month at the club. I thought it was striking that on the same weekend that he was shining. Sol had one of the most forgettable debuts in a Chelsea shirt. And it's it's an interesting journey to watch as they go on now. Hopefully, Saul has a really impressive season for Chelsea because it would help their cause in fighting for trophies on every front. But as we spoke about on the the big update recently, what's the long-term plan for Chelsea in bringing Connor back with Billy Gilmore also out on loan? Are you going to have a good season from Saul on loan and trigger the option to buy on him? And who's the odd man out in that situation? Does Connor fit into Tuchel's double six or do you play him as one of the tens ahead? which is already a very crowded field. So it's really exciting to see what Connor's been doing. All he can do is to play as well as he can and be an outstanding Premier League footballer and put the ball into Chelsea's court and move from there. He seems to be enjoying himself there. Uh, Box to box, loves a tackle as much as a shot. I mean, goals scrappy. The guy plays with so much heart and I think determination. That is what has gotten him to this level. He's probably not the fastest Maybe not the most gifted in certain aspects, but A, he does everything he has to, and B, he just refuses to be beat offensively and defensively. Absolutely. Hard work is non-negotiable. We know that. And it's it's one of those things that for a player of his style, it's easy to be drawn into the fact that he, he runs and he's got commitment and he can tackle, but he's got undeniable quality with the ball. You can't hang at the levels he's hung at with the Chelsea Academy and be as successful as he's had if you're not, if you haven't got the, the technique, technical quality to back it up. He's, he's, he's rounding into a really impressive player and whether it's at Chelsea or not, he's got a really bright future. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully we have more players uh, on the loan side that we get to talk about for for awesome you know performances. I mean, look, I, I'm assuming Phil Connor led the pre-match uh, you know team talk, talking about Spurs and how they're nothing. You got to go out and smash him. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure he led that. If not, he definitely led the celebrations post-match. Tell you that much. Oh, he will have. I, I like to imagine that every team talk against Tottenham is is the famous lads. It's Tottenham, Sir Alex. <laughs> Exactly. That's all we need. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to wrap us up on the youth update. Hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, tweet it, Phil. Let him know he's doing a good job. Hint, he already knows. But anyways, that's going to wrap us up. We're going to shoot it back over to the rest of the team, which probably includes myself, which is a little bit of an inception thing. But anyways, uh, let's go ahead and wrap up that match review. 
All right, so we've had a lot of fun. Uh, I think we really enjoyed it, but I've actually forgot to mention what Reese James posted on social media today. So Reese James' home was burglarized. This is fucked up, right? Not only that, they took a safe, which, again, he has all the video of it, um, and it ended up being his Champions League medal, his England uh, Euros runner-up medal, uh, the Super Cup winner's medal, and... Absolutely just devastating. But more important than that, Joe, is the fact that like Reese James' home is not safe. And there's nothing more important to a human than being able to go home and sleep in comfort and put your head down on the pillow and not have to worry about your safety. And now Reese doesn't have that peace of mind. Uh, it sucks that the medals are gone. I know people are going to replace them, but that wasn't the medal that he had on the pitch when he earned them. Yeah. And I think there, he's going to lose something with that. So he's put a plea out asking people to try to find the people who did this. Just pathetic, you know, from these individuals. Yeah, and I, I know that this this doesn't really come into the equation in terms of the burglary, but he is, by some distance, one of the nicest footballers that you could possibly meet. The work that he does off the pitch for charities, you know, the, the food bank stuff that he's done. Um, you know, it's it's sad. I mean, there was even a post I think earlier in the year when he went to go and give some some presents to to a charity. Somebody actually broke into his car and and stole those as well. So I mean, he doesn't. He's not obviously having a a huge amount of luck. The the point about him not feeling safe in his own home again is is terrible. And anyone who's been has been burgled will know that 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 feeling of of not feeling quite uh, you know not feeling as as easy or feeling uh, you know uneasy in your own home is one of the worst things that you can possibly have as well. So, um, yeah, awful, awful thing for him to go through. Um, yeah, I think it goes about saying that everyone on the pod and, and the wider Chelsea community are are behind him in trying to sort of resolve this matter. Um, but yeah, just a really shocking turn of events for a guy who really, given given how good he is at football, you know the the sort of money that he's on, all these sorts of things that people want to throw at him, he's just such a down to earth and humble person. Um, that, that this to to happen to him is is terrible. Um, I hope in terms of his IG post that the you know the police and and people that he's got looking into it help and are able to resolve the matter. But yeah, it's it's not the the ideal way to to prepare for for a big fixture. And again, you know, it's, it seems to be a, a spate of things that seem to happen to him in terms of um, you know being being unlucky with with being robbed and and stuff that's happened like that. It's it's just not, it's ridiculous. And the people who who doing it are, you know are, are just reprobate. So there's no real. There's no defense for it. Shouldn't have to have an armed guard at your house at all times to keep yeah. your stuff safe. I mean, it's it's terrible. I mean, I, I my the house that I lived in in college got robbed. They stole like thirty thousand dollars worth of stuff from it, um, computers, books, all that kind of stuff. And none of those things was a Champions League winner medal, um, but it still hurt all the same. And you know, it's it's just something that you. You know, it's tainted a little bit now, right? You know, both his car and his house have been robbed. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it's just incredibly disappointing. But I, I do hope that he does get his original items back, and that the uh, idiots who did this are are prosecuted to full extent. Absolutely, it was premeditated. They had a they had a driver. They had a sledgehammer to break into the door, and everything it was just disgusting to see. They knew he was playing that night in the Champions League. So, again, uh, Reese, you have a good support system around you, thankfully, but uh, people just need to be better. So on that side note, we're going to end it, uh, but hope you can go ahead and uh, help Reese if there's any way you can. If nothing else, tweet at him your support and love. 
Uh, so that way he can be in the right frame of mind to take on Spurs at the weekend. I know I would have a hell of a time doing that, but if anyone can, uh, Reese can. So that's going to wrap us up for this preview. Hope you've enjoyed it. We covered a lot. Thought it's been a lot of fun. Uh, anytime you have the Spurs rivalry, uh, it makes a little bit more uh, tastier of a fixture. So we expect fully expect to go to North London and take all three points. So again, last chance, jump in our Discord before the weekend. Uh, it'll be a good old time. Otherwise, that's going to do it. We'll be back with the match review, obviously, Monday like we do every weekend. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.